calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The Toddcast Podcast on ToddHancock.ca. You know, I was thinking back, Josh, uh, the last that you and I talked um, was probably about like eight, nine years back uh, when I was doing the afternoon show at Seafox uh, here in Vancouver. So it's been a while. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been some, yeah. it's been some time. So, I mean, it's the the obvious thing, man. How's uh, How's the camp in COVID? Of course, you guys had to cancel some shows and stuff, but like, what a fucking crazy... 18 months and like we're almost out of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't you know, I don't know where it's going, but um I think we're we're uh, everybody's just learning how to live live with it right now, you know, and and that's good, you know. Um it's been challenging. I can't say that it hasn't, you know, last year was uh rough and you know, we just thank God we had this great record hellbound to channel all of our energy into, you know, it's it's definitely one of our best records and um had a lot of fun uh, creating it, you know, and, and that, that was our focus in 2020. And thank God for that, you know, and to have it out on the street now is like, so amazing, you know, no doubt. And like, what are the, the differences of recording during a pandemic? And like, is it tough to get that creative juices flowing or like, what a fucking drag? Um, <clears throat> no, you know, once we decide uh, we're, we're gonna, you know, start that process, we just, we just start tackling it, you know, um, six days a week, honestly, we, we didn't uh, let up, you know, Stevie and I just started writing and writing and building a house, you know, that's what, uh, making a record is. You just have a foundation and that's it, you know? So, um, we wrote 28 songs for a, a 10 song record, you know, to get it down to 10 songs. And it's a masterpiece. I really, you know, for us, you know, I, I really, uh, it's fun to listen to from beginning to end. And, and that, that was a goal. I bet. Yeah. And so what's that process when, you know, you got 28 songs and not everybody's agreeing on the same songs. Like, so are you like, well, I want these yeah. 10 and like, I want the, like, how does that work, man? It's a lot of songs to cut off. Yeah. You know, you think it'd be hard, but it's not because really the greatest, the great songs, they, they st- you know, the cream, the cream rises to the top. I mean, they stand out at yeah. the end, you know, we got our, our producer, Marty Fredrickson, the band, and our, our manager, Larry Mazer, and we all just compiled a list, you know, and, and there's always like two or three songs that are, you know, 
you know, something that we uh, talk about, <laughs> you know, we kind of squabble over, but it's, it's not that big of a deal. We kind of, we kind of uh, work it out pretty well. I mean, you know, you have your groups of songs in a, in a good rock record, in my opinion, you know, you don't want to just have all fast songs and, you know, all, all my favorite rock records had mid tempo songs and they had a ballad in there and they had rock songs and, you know, heavier songs. And so we had all those kind of categories of songs. Maybe we had five rockers over here and five mid tempos and five and like three or four ballads. And, you know, you can only take one from each group, you know? So, um, that's kind of how we whittle it down. Yeah. Hey, did you hear, um, that the offspring parted ways with their drummer because he wouldn't get the vaccine? <laughs> I did not know. Yeah. That's, that's a little, that's a little extreme, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Apparently he's got some medical issues and his doctor had said like, you know, maybe not right now, let's hold off for a sec. And they were like, well, yeah, please. yeah. Why, why would you do that? If you had medical issues, I mean, yeah, whatever. But apparently you know, you're going to need that it, shit. You're, you're going to need the vaccine passport or whatever, you know, uh, if you're right outside of right. the U S if you want to come to Canada or tour the, you know, Europe or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, when I got my opportunity to get one, I jumped on it, you know, but, uh, Ditto. you know, I don't, I don't hold anybody to what they got to do. It's like, you know, um, I, I, I would, I, I hope that everybody would just get it for the greater good and not think of just themselves and stuff. And, you know, so that we could uh, get through with this, you know, get, you know, get to the other side and make it a little more manageable. But, you know, I do understand that, you know, people do have medical issues and, and whatnot. They're dealing with a lot of stuff. And that being said, you know, what are you going to do? Right. Right. Josh, I want to go back, um, like way back before you're in any bands at all. What's the music in the top wow. house as a kid growing up? Like, what are your, what are your parents playing? What's the music that you're being yeah, yeah. kind of influenced by? Yeah. My parents divorced when I was three. So, um, at my mom's house, uh, she would put on music and clean the house. That's when I really started getting into music. And, uh, my sister and I would just play and listen to, she listened to, uh, Kenny Rogers. I remember the gambler record, uh, yeah, Willie Nelson, um, Rod Stewart. Um, you know, I listened to all, all those records. And when I went over to see my dad, he would be listening to the Eagles. The first record he got me was Eagles in the long run. So, um, I really liked the Eagles back then as well. So, uh, yeah, um, those were some of the, some of the records. Yeah. The, uh, the death of, uh, Glenn Fry. I think that might've hit me the, that or like Cornell, I think probably. Yeah. Both great artists, of course, you know, um, tough pills to swallow. It's it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. And, And how old were you, um, you know, in your first serious band? Uh, it's 15, 15. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There was only one band in my high school and, um, I grew up in Southern California and before I got in a band, you know, I, I wanted to be a, sur- a professional surfer. You know, I, I surfed all the time. Oh, no kidding. And I would, I, yeah, I would take, uh, I lived more inland. So I would take the public transportation. I get on the bus and you could bring your surfboard on the bus and I would take the bus all the way to Newport beach and surf. And, um, and then I, we changed locations and I, I went to this high school uh, at my sophomore year of high school in a place called Mission Viejo, California, you know, and, and that's when um, I would surf with this guy who was a drummer. And um, so we were just out in the water. And at that point in time, I was really 
I, I did a lot of writing, a lot of creative writing, um, poetry, creative writing. And I think, I don't know if he knew that. I also had a really giant music collection as well. You know, I was into a lot of independent records back then and punk rock. And, and anyways, he, uh, he's like, Hey man, we're looking for a singer and you want to come down and audition, you know? And, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come down. Like I didn't even think about any, you know, I don't know why he asked me, honestly. So I, I, I got my grandfather to, uh, I was like, I was like, grandpa, I need a microphone. I don't have a microphone. I want to go to that site. So he bought me a microphone and I didn't even know what to do with it. I just plugged it into a guitar amp and uh, I started screaming, you know, they were just playing like, I think they were playing like, should I stay or should I go? A couple covers, you know, and I just started singing and, you know, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't doing bad or anything. I wasn't great, you know, but, um, I got through that and then automatically I just started like conducting the rehearsal. I was like, Hey man, let's write a song. And they were like, what? I go, yeah, let's write a song. I don't want to like, just keep rehearsing these covers. Let's, let's write an original song. Nice. And then I was like, do you got a, do you got a riff? I pointed the guitar player and he started, he's like, yeah. And he started playing some stuff and I go, I like that one. And then, so we started jamming and I got right down on the floor and I just started writing words, you know, and I just, I wrote my first song right there. First, first rehearsal. And, uh, it wasn't great, but you know, it's a um, song. I had, I had this knack for, you know, writing songs and, um, it, the light bulb went off. It was just like, this is it. This is my, this is my calling. This is all I want to do. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's what I was, that's <laughs> what I was feeling on the inside, but I didn't know what these guys thought of me. And I, I left and, um, and they wanted me in the band and that was great. And then I started like trying to work on my voice after that, you know, and, and developing my voice and because the writing, the writing came, uh, really easy for me. Oh, interesting. Okay. So how long till you meet Keith? Oh, it was, uh, that was a long time because, um, you know, I, I had my high school band and then I got out of high school and every everything was happening in Hollywood at that time. So I moved to Hollywood at 19 and that's when I actually met Stevie. Stevie and I worked together oh, okay. at, a, at a used clothing store and we were uh -huh. roommates at, at, in Hollywood and we were just a, a total mess. And I was in my first band there in Hollywood called Slamhound and mm -hmm. uh, we were a wrecking machine. You know, that was it was a really great band. We uh, we were together five years and. Uh, accomplished a lot of things and we were um, we almost got on Atlantic but then some things happened with Ahmed Erdogan he uh, fell and broke his hip during the whole time we were being courted to go to Atlantic and and that fell through and then we were on this independent label and we made a record but then the independent label lost all its financial backing so and then the, the band imploded after that and uh, you know we, thank God because we were we were really a mess you know we were we were a uh, <laughs> deep in drug and alcohol addiction and and if it would have happened for us we'd probably be dead by now but um right you know so it was only after all that that i met keith um okay. i started just writing uh writing and recording songs on a four track in my my bedroom and, and working a day job and i was getting tattooed by this guy kevin quinn and keith worked across the street and um i told him you know i was just looking for maybe a new situation you know and uh as far as you know a band to start a band and and he said i know this guy keith and you know i tattoo him and he came over one day and we met and then we just you know i had him over to my place and we we tried to write a song together and 
we kind of figured out we liked, you know, the same stuff and we had like some songwriting chemistry and, and that was it. We know we wrote a couple of songs that we liked and we we're like, let's get a band together. And, and that's, that was when we started. Right. And uh, what was your first uh, concert that you went to? Uh, the Ramones, the Ramones, uh, Fender's Ballroom in Long Beach, California. Wow. Like nothing like let's set that bar. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a really crazy night for me. You know, um, a lot of things happened that night. I lost my shoe in the pit, right? I had like slip on bands on and I lost my shoe. And so I thought my fucking, my shoe, my foot was getting trampled, you know? And I'm like, I got to, all I thought was I got to get out of this pit before you know i lose my foot or something you know it was actually pretty terrifying and i i got out of it finally and i still didn't have a shoe on and all i did was walked to the back of the club and i just sat down against the wall while the ramones were still playing and i was just exhausted i was so glad to be out of the pit and at that point in time uh the punk rock kids and the skinheads would fight you know there would be these big fights sometimes and you never knew when they were going to erupt so kind of had a thing against, you know, wasn't really into, you know, the skinheads, you know, they were kind of mean. And, um, and so I was sitting there against the wall. I was just like this little like surf punk kid and, and, uh, this, this big skinhead started walking towards me and I'm like, here we my go. inner voice is like, fuck here, here it goes. You know, we're going to, this guy's going to start some shit with me. And he didn't say anything to me. He sat down next to me. And he just lit up a joint and then he passed it to me and uh, we smoked a joint. And I was like, fuck, yeah, man, this is, it. you know, I, I just I was like, this is fucking my people, man. Like, uh, I, I just had such a good time that night, you know, and then and then it was so funny because I, I smoked this joint with a skinhead and I just sat there and waited it out. Everybody cleared out of the club. And then you saw my shoe, my shoe sitting right in there. <laughs> sitting right in the middle of the fucking uh, general admission floor right there in front of the stage. And I just went over, grabbed it, put it on and left. You know, that was my night. Nice. Hey, what, are you, <laughs> uh, what have you been binge watching lately? Oh, wow. Um, I've been watching this show called a Patriot on uh, Amazon prime. Yeah. Uh, my, my wife actually found it and we started watching it and then I went out on the road. So I kept watching it. Um, you know, I watch a lot of true crime too on Netflix. I mean, so many i just got i just watched all the cold case files and i saw the ted bundy one and the richard ramirez documentary fucking crazy that was a an insane documentary man yes like no and, rhyme no reason fucking girls guys old people young people kids Rich, richard ramirez yeah i yep. read i read his see i was i was a kid in southern california at that time and if you if you know if you knew on the documentary, there's this kid and he's really young at the time, and he's the one that got the license plate where they found Richard's uh, fingerprint on the back of the mirror. Do you remember that part? Yeah. That that kid in Mission Viejo, California, cut to years later. I befriended this kid. I didn't know who he was, and he was just like this cool kid. He had long long hair, and he and he wrote us. Uh, rice rockets sport bike i thought he was like the coolest kid you know he had a motorcycle and stuff and and i went over to his house and he had this plaque on his wall it said from the los angeles police department thank you for the uh capture you know uh, for uh, participating in the capture of richard ramirez i was like Whoa. what the fuck is this and he goes 
oh yeah the, like you remember the night soccer i go do i remember everybody was terrified How of course he goes you forget he that. goes yeah he goes well he killed he killed somebody on my street and i i just saw this car that was kind of like i i he just was vi- really observant kid and, and saw this car that wasn't a car that he'd ever seen on his neighborhood and he just rode down the license plate and i was like man I mean, I go, you're the reason why they eventually ID'd him and captured Richard Ramirez. I mean, you were a, a big piece of the puzzle, you know, it's fucking crazy, you know? Uh, so that, that part of it was really cool. And wow, man. And that, and that, that's why I read the book. I read the, the life and crimes of Richard Ramirez on the first Buck Cherry tour when we were out in a van and it just scared the shit out of me, man. Oh, dude, it's the, I mean, to know that people like that, actually exist in real life yeah fucking scary man you know they didn't get into uh his childhood and he had this really abusive father and he grew up in a place in i believe new mexico where they were at that time testing uh the atom bombs or some bombs out there and there was a lot of kids with uh, these birth defects and his sister had some kind of birth defect and Richard, when he was a kid, had these like really chronic headaches coupled with his dad being very abusive. I think that Richard's uh, brain didn't develop, you know, really well when he was a kid. And that's how he became kind of a sociopath. And then he had befriended this, this friend of the families that was his Vietnam vet. And he was like this crazy motherfucker. And he would go over to Richard would go over to his house and this guy had a shoebox full of all these pictures of uh, people that he had killed in Vietnam. Right. And he would show Richard all these pictures and Richard was like fascinated with them. And he kind of like looked up to this guy and this guy taught Richard how to be uh, a criminal, how to like go in and rob places and be like uh, uh, invisible. You know, he kind of really taught him how to, how to rob places and, and they didn't get into it, but like Richard Ramirez uh, before he started killing, worked at this hotel, right? And he had a skeleton key. And so he would go into people's rooms at night and he would crawl on the floor and he would rob them. He would like steal stuff out of their purses and stuff and then leave. So he would like break it in, you know, he would get into all these people's hotels and I'm just like, oh my God, you know, can you imagine? And this is before he started killing people. And then eventually he, uh, he tried to rape a girl at this hotel who was in her, you know, and, and the, and the boyfriend came back to the hotel room and they had a scuffle and beat the shit out of him, but they, they didn't press charges. They just told like the, the hotel employees and they fired Richard. And then there was shortly after that, where he started his crime spree, you know, it's crazy though. Fucking crazy. Are you, are you watching much of the Tokyo uh, summer Olympics? I've been watching, uh, I watch like the skateboarding and surfing and, um, some of the tennis. I love tennis, you know, I play tennis and oh, yeah. so I did some of that, you know, I think it's cool that, uh, that they put the skateboarding in amazing. Like yeah. who would have like, as a kid, I would have been like, you're fucking crazy, man. It's not, that's never going to happen. Oh, it's a fucking hard ass sport, man. I mean, those guys are so they're, talented. They're badass, man. And they're balls yeah. of steel. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah they do yeah they make Are it you... look they make it look so easy and that shit oh, totally. is so fucking hard so hard like you dude know? even just like just even <laughs> just an ollie is fucking hard man the, when, they, <laughs> when they're going when they're going on those rail slides that shit is so crazy like 
flip tricks to rail slides is like nuts to me you know totally man and like they make it look effortless like yeah nothing ain't nothing for them are you uh are you a fan of comic books you get into like the the wandavision and x-men and batman and all that no i'm not you know my son likes all that stuff and yeah and uh my daughter actually my youngest daughter but i'm, I'm just not into it yeah fair uh josh yeah. i know that i, I want to respect your time but i do have um a bunch of uh buck cherry uh fan questions if you want to quickly blast for you a, a few of these here sure let's hear it uh ace goes I'd, I'd like to know why they chose to put the song open my eyes as a hidden track when it's arguably their best song oh i i love that that's cool um open my eyes you know we were in there we had already mapped out the whole time bomb record and we were in there recording and i was just noodling on the piano and i wrote the song real quick and um and then yogi i said hey, i'm not a good piano player can you lay this piano down and yogi laid the piano down to it um and i sang it and i thought it was really special but you know you know, we're we're like a we're a rock band you know so it just didn't fit you know so that's why we made it a hidden track and you know for people to hear and i've always liked those you know sometimes you just hear somebody break down a song just guitar and vocal on a hidden track and it's really cool you know and um eventually a lot of people found that song and used it as like their wedding song and and uh it's very cool but i mean that's the reason why it didn't make it on on the, the record right uh maddie and i want to know this too maddie goes tell me everything about becoming a certified plebotomist oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know um that was a lot of fun you know i love learning new things and and don't ask me why i got really interested in that i mean i w- when i get my blood taken every year i go to a blood bank because um it's just closer to my house. And I just rather do that than have to fast in the morning and go all the way to my doctors. Cause my doctor's a little farther away. So, um, I go to this blood bank called quest diagnostics and, um, and, uh, I was there one time and they have the best phlebotomist cause they're just, they're doing, they're, they're taking blood literally all day long. So right. it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt at all. You know? So, no. uh, this big tall tattooed guy came in and I'm like, Oh my God. And, and he, and he just wrapped me up and took my blood and I literally didn't even feel it. And I was like, I was like, wow, man, you're like the best, you know, phlebotomist I've ever had. I go, I, I go, how'd you get into this? And I just started talking to him and asking him and asking him about his process. And, you know, I was really interested in the whole thing. And so cut to, uh, quarantine i'm like i gotta get out of this house i gotta i gotta work i want to i want to serve my community how can i do that and uh so i searched it up i found a little phlebotomy school i went to school for two weeks um learned a lot of did a lot of like after your first day of phlebotomy school you're already sticking people and they're sticking you and you know and none of us are uh doing it very well at the beginning so it's like you're coming home with like you know, six, seven sticks in your arms. And it's just, it because starts becoming, you start looking like a heroin addict when you get home, you know, um, it was funny, but I mean, and then we, we started getting really good because, you know, uh, we wanted to, you know, be successful every time. I think I only like missed a vein, like one or two times that whole time. And you had to do like, uh, I don't know, like 50 vena punctures, you know, uh, to complete, uh, to get certified. And then also, I had to take a national exam and uh, studied really hard for that and took that and um, passed it. And then I did it. Then you have to do an externship and 
I did that, which is 40 hours at a, a clinic, you know, and I went, I went to this clinic and I had on scrubs, but I didn't have like, uh, any, I didn't have long sleeves underneath it. And they looked at me and, and they said, Oh, you're, you got to, you know, you have to cover up your tattoos. You have to leave. And I was like, okay. And so I came back and I had, you know, like long sleeves. I didn't think they would have a problem with it. Cause I've seen many people in scrubs with tattoos, you know, but, um, so I came back and, uh, then I had to like, uh, take people's blood in a clinical setting, which was, uh, you know, I was, I it was ner- nervous. I was nervous because I'd only done my students and, yeah. and I went in there and, uh, I handled it, you know, and, uh, then I started getting good at it, you know, and, and then I worked at a, I worked for four months at a COVID clinic down in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, oh. at, and this was, this was after we had, We'd already recorded the whole time bomb record. I mean, time bomb, a uh, hellbound record. Yep. So it was done. And then I started working at this COVID clinic, uh, basically to serve my community past the time and to, um, you know, uh, do more phlebotomy. I really enjoyed it. Wow. Good for you, man. Yeah. Uh, Cam goes, is it true you were the original singer in Velvet Revolver? What's the story there? No, it's not true. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, in, in between Time Bomb and 15, you know, uh, three of the band members had quit. It was just Keith and I uh, holding things together. And and, and uh, at one point, uh, Duff, Slash, and Matt reached out to us. One, They were doing some uh, tribute or what was it? Wasn't it like a Randy Castillo tribute? Yeah, Ra- Ra- like Randy Castillo thing to raise money, some charity event at the Key Club and and asked us if we wanted to jam and do some covers and we'll do some Buck Cherry songs, some Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith. And, and they called it the Cherry Roses. Right. And we went and we went <laughs> yeah. and did the We did this show and it was a lot of fun. And at that point in time, Keith and I had just been sitting there writing songs. You know, we, we weren't in a band situation we were just writing demos. And so it was fun for us to be in a band situation. And we were like joking to each other. We're like, man, this sounds like uh, Buck Cherry with like really great uh, musicians, you know? And, um, and so we're like, that felt really good. There was kind of a buzz around LA after we did the show, you know, it was, uh, I do remember like were- even up here, dude, on the West coast of Canada. Fuck. I remember when you guys did that and like everybody was talking about it. Yeah. So we, we were like, let's call them up and see if they want to like do something, maybe put a band together and, and they were thinking the same thing. And we became like a band for a month. We were, we just, we were going to rehearsal. We were writing songs. We were talking to managers. We were like trying to get it together. We were talking about band names. And then all of a sudden Slash came in and abruptly said he didn't want to do it. And that was it. <laughs> and then, and then it wasn't only till after that, that those guys later uh, did the Velvet Revolver thing. So I was way before that. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mo goes, ask him why too drunk isn't available on Spotify, but the rest of the black butterfly album is, uh, that was some point of contention back in the day. I don't know why that happened. Our manager, uh, said we have to pull it for whatever reasons. And then we added highway star and, uh, I wasn't happy about that. And, you know, um, I thought it was a, uh, just a bad move, but anyways it it happened and there's nothing we could do about it but you know the core buck cherry fans it's fun for them to find the song somehow and we play it every night uh too drunk to fuck it's a lot of fun <laughs> yeah, it's a great great song 
Uh, Marnie goes, are you a gambler? If so, what's your go-to? I like to gamble. Um, I like to play roulette, you know, if I'm going to do, and I know it's the worst odds in Vegas, but uh, I really, I really like the game roulette. Yeah. I like roulette as well. There's a, a strategy that I use for roulette, but there's, it, it takes patience. Like it needs yeah. to go red or black, <laughs> odd or even for at least right. three or four in a row. And then once right. it gets to that point, then you bet against that it's going to do it again. So if it's like red, 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 bet black. Right. If it right. goes red again, bet black. Double, keep doubling down. I've never yeah. lost that way. Like I literally have I, never lost that way. I play the numbers, the big stacks. You know, no idea. I just yeah, because I want to like I want to I wanted to hit big or big wins, whatever. You know. Oh yeah, big yeah. wins. <laughs> All right, Josh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up here in a couple uh, couple questions. I want to respect the time. So, um, cliche question from Sam, but I, I think a lot of your fans want to know this. What are the three albums you need on the deserted island? Man, I know, right? So challenging. Change, change daily. Uh, you know, I would say uh, Purple Rain would have to be one of them for me, you know? Um, oh, really? Yeah, Purple Rain. And then let's see, Back in Black would be a good one. And then... Um, what, pause. What did you think of uh, Axel jumping on the road and touring with ACDC? amazing i like, don't know if you ever saw like footage of that but i mean he have you ever it. seen him they give him sitting down in the wheelchair and he's just belting it crazy he had that in that injury i was yeah. like i had like a whole new level of respect for him i just i love him anyways but like to see him doing that i was like man at his age it's so hard to do yeah. those songs are so hard to sing yeah. and like he just fucking killed it, man. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, same. But yeah, uh, so Back in Black, Purple Rain, and then, uh, wow. I don't know, man. That, that's such a difficult one. What would be the third one? Oh, probably Yaz Upstairs at Eric's. That was yes. a really big record for me. Yeah. Wow. I love that record. I, I don't know that I would have, well, certainly not the Yaz, but I don't know that I would have called, <laughs> would have uh, guessed the the Prince. So yeah, I, I'm a huge Prince fan, man. Uh, you know. Uh, what, a, what a loss. I would, I would sneak in my sister's room. You know, I would listen to all these punk rock records and stuff. And then my sister had this whole other thing going on. She listened to like Prince and The Time and Apollonia 6 and Billy Idol. And I would go in there and I, I saw the Love Sexy cover the prince where he's naked yeah. on the cover. And I'm like, wow, this dude is fucking crazy. What he's, what is he all about? And um, I just got into him and I was like, I thought he was amazing. And I, I would go like, I, I had a fake ID when I was 17 and I would go dancing with my sister and all her friends. And, and that's when I got into like Yaz and Prince and like, I love to dance, you know? So um, I was into all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 All right, Josh, last, last question. I think it's probably going to be the toughest for you to answer career highlight. Can you, can you nail it down to one thing? Oh, wow. Wow. Um, so many, there's so many, uh, you know, crazy bitch was a big, a big moment for us, you know, uh, 15, the, the comeback with 15 was such a huge moment because everybody had written us off. Uh, nobody would sign us and to, to have like the, the success we had on that record was a definitely career high. Um, 
you know, we got to experience so many uh, big festivals and big tours on that run. And we'd, we'd actually gotten to a point where we had two buses on the road, which was pretty crazy. And nice. um, so that was definitely a, ca- a career high. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Dude, thank you again for taking the time here to join us in uh, in Vancouver. Uh, you're easy to find online simply at Buck Cherry and, uh, and that's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.